0: Hi, everyone. I'm Ian, and this is Maggie, and on this episode of the Best Pictures Podcast, we're doing 1932's Grand Hotel.
1: Um, so Grand Hotel, we're still in pre-code era. Um, I will make note of when we leave pre-code era, and I will also do some reading up on the Hayes Code so that I can actually speak more intelligently about <laughs> it. Um, but yes, this is based on the 1930 play by the same name, which was adapted by William A. Drake from a 1929 German novel by Vicki Baum called Mention im Hotel. I probably butchered that pronunciation just like I will butcher the names of almost every character in this film. Um, which is why I will be referring to most of them by their actors' names, because this is a star-studded cast.
0: Absolutely. And with German names that neither of us can pronounce. So, <laughs>
1: Yeah, German is not a language either of us have studied, so we're, we're kind of on our own here. <laughs> um, so kind of some cool things about this hotel, or not this hotel, this uh, movie as a bit of background. So it is the only Best Picture winner to not receive a nomination in any other category.
0: It's very interesting. I mean, I'm surprised for the costuming there wasn't something, or even the set design. Yes, we will
1: talk about both of oh those in detail. Um, I'm a little surprised that there weren't some actor nominations, because it is a just star-studded cast, and there are some very nice performances, which we'll all also go in-depth into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's very interesting um, that it didn't receive any other nominations. It did, however place in afi's top 100 movie quotes for garbo's line i'd want to be alone i don't know if that does that surprise you or you're just like i don't know if it
0: surprises me so much as that is not the line from that movie i would have picked to be a top 100 movie quote
1: i think it's partially her delivery too it's an interesting that's valid i was happy with her at some point um but yeah um and so also interesting so the adaptation from the novel and the um, into a play and the screenplay were both commissioned by irving thalberg which is a name we might recognize as the producer of a broadway melody
0: well maybe i'm spoiler alert not a fan of thalberg too much <laughs> <laughs> thalberg,
1: thalberg was a one of the main producers at mgm so he produced a lot of stuff um very fair but that would be a uh, two best picture um things for him so far
0: yeah, so he did well for himself, especially for the time.
1: Mm-hmm, but, for sure. Um, there was also a little bit of controversy about Garbo because she was a Swedish actress and had a very strong Swedish accent and her playing a Russian. Um, I honestly don't know if most American audiences, like the wider audience, would really have known the difference in accent.
0: I found it a little bit hokey, but I, it was subtle enough for me that I wasn't too concerned. Well, I mean, her,
1: like she is... Swedish so her accent is very strong Swedish mm-hmm. but yeah I, I'm not sure the wider audience would have known the difference between a Swedish accent and a Russian accent
0: yeah agreed now that being said though like did you think her accent was very Russian
1: no I don't think I, I even mean, noticed
0: one way or the other
1: I, I, to me Garbo's accent was Garbo's accent like I've, I've seen a lot of Garbo movies um, she does have a very distinct like not just accent but like voice and mm-hmm. way of talking um so to me like I I don't know like Garbo's accent is outside of nationality for me almost because like <laughs> I just generic european yeah, like, accent. No, it's no. just like it's the accent I associate with Garbo. So yeah, I I mean it didn't really have any effect on the movie for me personally.
0: Well, I thought it was interesting that only some of the characters had accents even though they were all supposed to be not English. Yeah, they're also they're all supposed to be German. Exactly. Um, so with
1: the exception of Garbo's character who's supposed to be Russian and I guess her assistant was supposed to be French.
0: That's yeah, like I Mon chéri. Yeah,
1: she she's booked her in French quite a bit. Um Yeah, I that that's not unusual. And quite honestly, I think I would rather have well first of all, I would rather have like an actor of the nationality mm-hmm. playing that role, but like I would rather have like no accent, and like the actor using their accent than have a bad fake accent completely
0: agreed, yeah. although I almost would prefer consistency over a couple like sprinklings of true German accents,
1: I mean I was kind of fine with it because i don't I don't know like it didn't it didn't really hurt the themes of the movie for me,
0: yeah, same, same. The story was still there,
1: yeah, exactly, um, and I you know there's the line there's a grand hotel in every city, so yeah, you know add it, to the
0: like. <laughs> my cosmopolitan exactly so this one thing. happens
1: to be in berlin so i think it's i think this is one of those stories that really could have been set anywhere
0: yeah completely agreed i didn't get much i mean there was a little bit of talk of like wartime things yeah but that but, would have
1: been pretty universal yeah across absolutely the board. could and have it, been the grand hotel in paris well and i think you know the the one thing that you kind of got that made me be like oh this is a like german berlin story was every now and then they'd refer to things that made me think of like the economic depression that would have Mm -hmm. happened in germany in the 30s um like post like late Mm 20s 30s post world war one um you know kind of like the importance of these mergers going through and these business deals yeah But like again i think that's something that they didn't really lean into that a huge amount as far Mm -hmm. as like the economic circumstances of the country so i think you know you really could have set this anywhere at any time
0: yeah. Well, and it's about the people more so than the broader socio-political climate. Yeah, so.
1: which I think this is kind of, you know, our first movie that wouldn't really qualify as like an epic. It's a yes. very contained story. It's and within... it's much
0: more downplayed than something like Cimarron, where it's supposed to be this huge sweeping decades worth of time yeah. covered Yeah, sort of this deal. is
1: in over the course of a few days, I would say.
0: Which, let me tell you, those lots happened in those two days. I, I know,
1: it o- It opens with, there's a line, oh, I wrote it down from the the doctor character. Um. Oh, Grand Hotel, people coming, people going, nothing ever happens. Hell of a lot happens. Yes. Like,
0: But yet nothing too? It's, yeah, It's I know. very it's, interesting. We'll get to that though. Yeah, because <laughs> um,
1: they also close with that line. But yeah, so I think if we want to go into kind of how we want to break this one down. Oh, let me go over the other nominations really quickly from that year. Sounds um, good. I have not seen any of these. If you have, shout I'll out. I'll speak up. Um, so the other nominations for best picture were Aerosmith, Bad Girl, The Champ, Five Star Final, One Hour with You, Shanghai Express, and The Smiling Lieutenant.
0: Yeah, nope, and none, none there. Not
1: seen any of those. I think Shanghai Express is the only one that really rings a bell. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really look too much into what else was kind of like around. During this year, because um, I, d- I did like Grand Hotel, and I mm-hmm. can see why it won. Um, I know you're a little bit more lukewarm on it than I am, so I didn't look to see like what else yeah. would have been up for nomination. But
0: Well, I mean, and my lukewarmness also kind of comes from the difference in what we like most in the storytelling in movies in general. So I know you are a very character-driven yes. person. yes, yes, yes. And so this was a very character-driven film, and for me... Sometimes that works if it's done really well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I, you know, this is a good time to kind of go into the first thing. I think we both really wanted to talk about performances and character. Absolutely. Um. So, again, star-studded cast. So we have Greta Garbo, Joan Crawford, Lionel, and John Barrymore. Um, I think those are the ones off the top of my head. But, um. you know, of those four, which I would say are kind of the, like, big stars in this, or at least the, you know, people who we still recognize their names today. hmm um, Three did outstanding performances. Well, two had outstanding, one had very good, and one had one that disappointed me.
0: I now, mean, which one disappointed you?
1: John Barrymore as the Baron.
0: He did seem to fall a little flat, or very flat. <laughs> I, there was
1: just some, like... He in particular there's the scene where he's talking to garbo and it's like the morning after he's basically stayed up Mm -hmm. all night with her because he was trying to rob her room then he discovers that like she's this depressed ballerina and she's about to commit suicide and he stops her Mm -hmm. but like he he just couldn't match garbo in the scene like garbo was giving such a good performance and he just couldn't match it and like when he, you know, says the morning after, he's like, no, I've actually fallen in love with you. Like, mm-hmm. this is the horrible person I am. You didn't
0: believe it, did you? <laughs> I didn't believe it at
1: all. And it was, I, like, he had this kind of, like, weird wide-eyed look on his face that I think was supposed to be, like, shock at his own mm-hmm. emotions. But, like, it just, it didn't read well. and read it d- well.
0: didn't help the way that they set him up to be a bit of a playboy, well, in a sense. even there's so the scene even... where he's
1: talking with his dog. yeah. But like that's honestly like the most I bought his performance in the entire movie. That was movie. a cute scene too. It was too. a very cute scene. I was and like I thought a
0: little eugenics ish right there. Yes, it was. Don't mate with anybody but other dachshunds. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I was a little like mm, considering this time period. Mm. It, yeah. But like I like I liked his performance in that scene, but I don't I don't know. Like he he didn't. I just didn't buy it.
0: Yeah. I well, and thing. I think he kind of continued that sort of. I think the same problem exists in the one scene after the gambling uh, portion with uh, Kringlein, 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 Kringlein. Thank yes. you. I
1: practiced Again, saying that last night. As I'm going to have to practice this. So
0: Kringlein, when the or Baron. Or Lionel
1: more. We can just call him. Boy I like Kringlein
0: now that I can say it. Okay. But um, it's when Kringlein loses his pocketbook and Baron yeah. picks it up. But I don't see the conflict of conscience in his face at all like like, in my head i wanted this to be a growth opportunity for him and i really wanted to see him struggling to get it back and the
1: writing was there for it is the thing like it's not i don't think it's the fault of the writing in this case because you know there have been some movies in the past where we were like "Eh, i didn't quite like that performance but i'm not sure if it was a problem with the writing or a problem with the performance i think this was definitely a problem with the performance because that is clearly written into the script as, like, the Baron slipping and then kind of overcoming his past self. Right. But you just didn't see so much of the conflict. Like, it was like he very suddenly decided to take the wallet and then very suddenly decided not to. And I also have do have a big issue with the fact that Greta Garbo was straight up like, dude, I can pay for all your debts.
0: Like, I got money. <laughs> and he was
1: like no, it'll ruin everything. And I was like... And
0: ruin what? Okay. Really, you can't have a woman help you out a little bit? Yeah, I know. But
1: then but then he's willing to, like, steal from his dying friend, Kringle Lion, who is, like, nothing but a precious angel who we <laughs> all just want to, like, <laughs> protect.
0: Which, speaking of Kringle Lion, I felt so bad for that oh horrible God. burn about his clothing. It's like, I know you're sick because your collar doesn't fit. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> That's such a weird one, too. But it was, like, that was shady. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: but, like, oh, but what a what a precious character, and the way that, like, the Baron and Joan Crawford's character kind of, like, turn around on him and, like, really... Yes. They, yeah, because at first they're kind of making fun of him, and they're like, oh, this awkward, you know, badly dressed guy and all this stuff, but they really kind of, like, come to know him as a person and really, mm-hmm. like, treasure him, and, you know, the end is, I think, so sweet between Kringle and... Joan Crawford's yes, it's character, like let's go run away and just
0: do what we want to do. Exactly,
1: oh, and it's so especially sweet. after you know Joan Crawford's character, the stenographer, whose name I cannot say and just won't try. Honestly, they called her
0: Flim, right? Flim, Flim. Sure, <laughs> she's the stenographer, Joan. or Joan Crawford,
1: <laughs> for the cases of me in this podcast. Um, you know the fact that obviously she's gone goes through so much sexual harassment the entire film, and I think I. Think she does. I'm not a big Joan Crawford fan. I will straight up say that. I generally do not like mm-hmm. Joan Crawford. I like her performance a lot in this because she does such wonderful things with like her expressions. And you can yes. tell that like she's sort of in control in that she is playing the situation for her benefit, but that she doesn't like it. Yes. And that she you know basically and she says like multiple times like she needs the money like Mm -hmm. she's a stenographer like she doesn't make very much which i got really mad when the baron was like oh you're a little stenographer and i was like oh my god stop and then he like straight (laughs) up like patted her butt as she walked away and i was like oh my god
0: although that scene with them on the balcony one of the very first Mm -hmm. interactions between the stenographer and baron I really loved the close-up shots there, and the. I hated
1: the dialogue though.
0: The dialogue wasn't good, but the way that they played off each other, I thought was really good. Well,
1: see, it didn't work for me because it's not as charming as the type of banter you usually see in True. those like 1930s um, comedies. And then also, like her character did a 180 very fast, and I was like, I wanted her to like either start out at the beginning being like more joking about mm-hmm. being like go away. Because she seemed very serious about "Go away, leave me alone," and I was like, either she needed from the beginning to seem more seem more joking about it, or mm-hmm. she didn't need to like flip so fast, and the banter just needed to be better.
0: Well, see, I liked that flip because that adds to her self serving. I'm going to make the decision well, see, that helps me. In this I wanted, situation I wanted thing.
1: her to make the flip after someone called him Baron.
0: Uh, If the flip
1: had waited to that moment. I
0: thought that that was what happened because you saw her expression after she said you're a baron. She
1: starts like warming up to him before that though. Mm -hmm. And I like wanted her if she was going to start off being like non-joking and being like very serious and cold. I wanted the like instant flip to Mm -hmm. happen right after someone said baron. Because like you kind of get it but it's like I don't know. It's I think it could have been done better. Yes it could have been done better. It could have been a little bit tighter I think. But in general love her performance and like, you know, of course she deals with that incredibly Pricing. Sleazy, oh, pricing, the industrial magnet. I love how um Kringer Lion always calls him Mr. Industrial Magnet.
0: <laughs> um, well, speaking of pricing, we had our butts moment. Except his butts. We, we almost was had we almost had a butts darn moment. It. We're gonna have it in every full I was.
1: I would I was gonna be like, are we gonna be like fifty fifty for butts at this point? Like what is this? Um the joys of pre-code, or the not joys of pre-code, depending on, on how you feel about that.
0: Well, yeah, with pricing, I'm okay with how. No, but yeah, up.
1: there's there's like the weird, like when Joan Crawford's character like comes up to like do this sten- her stenographer job, mm-hmm. and he's like doing like weird stretches in the bathroom, and like his towel almost falls off. But like, yeah, that character in general just horrible human being. Do do we want to like talk more about him and kind of the the in part? where he kills the baron first off like i again i was like why is the baron in here robbing people when like he's been first off he could just leave
0: well but who is that random police officer soldier person that is like why can't you get the pearls now
1: oh the like footman yeah footman in disguise i I thought i don't know i like obviously the baron owes some people money I think is what we're supposed to get, but I was like, you know, do these people have the power to follow him to Vienna, or can he just sneak onto a train? Like, does he even really have to pay him back? Like, he could just disappear with the ballerina, most likely, but... Well, you know. Also, she offered, again, we're just going to throw out there that she offered to pay. Also, Kringle Lion definitely... Offered him money, yeah, and then help.
0: he didn't take it, and then almost stole his damn wallet. I know. Which I was like, <laughs> if you're gonna steal
1: the wallet, like why? All, like first off, you don't have to steal all of it because there was what fourteen thousand marks in there, and I think yeah. the Baron owns owes five thousand, is oh, what they I say.
0: I honestly did not hear the exact amount. I just knew I think that it a was five thousand strand of pearls was enough. I think it was five thousand,
1: but like, yeah, I was just like, I don't know why you won't just accept the money from the ballerina while you're like sitting here robbing people still yeah. but okay but then of course like pricing kills him although i do love every time he and pricing get in like a confrontation and pricing's like i will be the last one standing here or like you can't just walk away and the baron's always like okay and then just leaves. <laughs> or he's like we'll see who's the last for one standing." exactly and he's Which, like
0: nice foreshadowing there I appreciated yeah. that
1: yeah but particularly after uh pricing gets mad about uh joan crawford dancing with a line and yeah. stuff. And the Baron kind of steps in and he's like, we'll see who's the last one standing here after the argument. And someone calls the Baron's name. He goes, oh yes. And turns and leaves. <laughs> I just,
0: I loved it. It was a great transition. There and were, by great transition, yes. I mean choppy as hell. <laughs>
1: well, I see. I liked it because there were some nice comedic moments in this because, you know, for the most part, it is pretty heavy. Like you have mm-hmm. Greta Garbo's character who is severely depressed. And yep. I think I have a note in here that's like, somebody get this woman some help. But, like, she's severely depressed. She's going to commit suicide until the Baron steps in. Mm-hmm. And in a very creepy way. <laughs> that, that exchange, I wrote it down. It's so, it was like so weird and funny. But, like. When he
0: was in her room and she just comes in? Yeah. Okay. Um, she took a random stranger, especially a man, being in her room just randomly. Well. Scarily well. Well, I mean, obviously,
1: <laughs> her character is not in the best mental place yeah um but oh the don't be alarmed madam who are you someone who happened to be hiding in your room i have like wtf with like (laughs) multiple question marks (laughs)
0: the best explanation possible in that situation obviously yeah
1: well and it's very clear that i think garbo's character just wants to be like loved and adored
0: yeah and he was able to give that to her in that moment
1: well because you have her talking about the audience not clapping And there being so little audience. And I think it's Mm -hmm. kind of. It's semi-established that she was like a prima ballerina in the Russian court. And then after the revolution kind of like lost a lot of her standing. And a lot of people in her life.
0: Yes. So with pricing again though. Talking about his performance a little bit to pivot back. I. That first scene when he and Joan Crawford were typing through the merger agreement. And Joan brings up this posing book that she had done. Yeah. I like, Pricing did such a good job of becoming a scumbag. I loved it. And especially the line about, oh, you're pretty enough that you can do other things.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot of innuendo
0: in this. Yes. So again,
1: that pre-code.
0: Oh, it was great. Yeah. But his delivery, I think, was very on point. Yes. But at the same time with him, I liked the conflict between his current persona and his needing to get things like the merger done, but his want to be basically a knight in shining armor. I'm going to have my morals and values and I'm going to stick with them. I'm not going to lie to these people to get the merger to go through one thing there that he throws out the window. Well,
1: exactly. I mean, you see, you see him, you know, he started off as a character that seemed like he had a very like high moral standing and you see him fall really fast Um, So it
0: started with the lying to the folks about the Manchester merger and then goes down to here... Uh, my wonderful stenographer, let me take you away for a weekend. How much would that oink, cost? Oink. <laughs> and that's like, oh, you are, thought you were a family man. well and then, what of are course, she says
1: something about his wife. He's like, don't bring my wife into this. And it's like, dude, you brought your wife into this the minute you decided that you were going to cheat.
0: Yeah. When well, I
1: think kind of the switch that happens for his character is because he's very sure that that Manchester merger is going to go through. And I think it's when he gets the telegram that it's not.
0: Yeah. And you can almost see him come unhinged in that scene. Mm-hmm. Well, not unhinged. But That's a little strong. You but. see
1: you see like some desperation and where he's now in a very horrible place because um, you know, they to dip a little bit into the cinematography, they establish some characters very nicely in the opening sequence where you have the shots cutting between the different phone booths. Yes,
0: I've really enjoyed the phone I booth. I liked scenes. it. I
1: thought, you know, every now and then it got a, like a little exposition-y, but like it was Overall, nicely done, I thought. Um, And it's interesting because we got our established setting and time period sans title cards.
0: Yeah. Which is one of the first to actually do that well. Yeah.
1: I, I don't remember if we had that in all quiet. I don't think we had title cards in all quiet. That one I don't think we did. Um Cimarron, I think we had some. Definitely for did sure, for a time period. Which I which I understood kind of from the structure of that right. movie in general. And I expect that we'll see some in our next one, Cavalcade, which is kind of mm-hmm. another sweeping epic. Um,
0: but it was very you could tell that it was adapted from theater in that regard, because you don't have title cards in theater. No, <laughs> no, you
1: have dialogue exactly. and set like set pieces and costumes and you know, is what was used here. Right. To a very good effect. Um, but yes, I've,
0: I enjoyed, as much as I cringed at the character of pricing, the performance it was a of good performance. Wallace Beery was fantastic. Yes, it was
1: a good performance, and he made for a very good villain.
0: Yes, he did.
1: But yeah, he's, oh, and then you also get that he performed it so nicely at the end after... Um, you know, he's killed the Baron and you have Joan Crawford's run out and gotten mm-hmm. Kringle line and Kringle line comes in and you have him just being like, I'll give you whatever you want. Like, we can't tell people about this. Like I have a reputation. Like we can, that girl must've like just, she, she must've been part of it, but like yeah. she was with you. Right. And like is just so desperately wants to save his reputation. And it's just like, Oh, what a coward. <laughs> what a coward.
0: Well, it's like you've made your bed now when you lay in it.
1: Exactly. Like, then he he doesn't want to have to deal with the consequences of his own actions. Right. Which is, you know, in stark contrast to the Baron, who is a very dynamic character in the opposite way. He starts out very amoral, mm-hmm. becomes very mor- moral to a sense. I mean, I guess he is trying to steal from pricing at the end, but honestly, I don't mind people trying to steal from pricing.
0: I mean, if... Any of what Kringlein is saying is true about and, the conditions. Then it's almost would be company. wrong
1: not to steal from prices. Are we Robin I mean. Hooding this shit?
0: I think so. <laughs> it's Robin Hood <in> this shit.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and so I think kind of the last performance that I want to talk about is Lionel Barrymore as Kringleline. We've brought him up multiple times. Like just what a joy to watch on screen. His performance was so good. I just loved the character so much
0: yes well and he felt so genuine the entire time
1: yeah well you have that line at the end where he asked joan crawford he's like did you love the baron and she's like yeah which i kind of was like why Joan?" like (laughs) i did he she think that his speech when he was like i fell in love tonight did she think that was about her because like it was definitely not it was about garbo but um you know crinkle and i like his response he's like i did too like he was such a good friend for me when i didn't have any and yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. He was just so nice, and then of course he like offers basically. He's like to Joan Crawford. He's like, I have money. Like we can go away. But he does it without the like sleaziness of pricing, without being yeah. like basically. Do you want to come away with me and be my mistress? He's like, let's just go travel. Like I don't go know. Go have
0: fun and whatever happens happens. It's out of
1: like such pure friendship. Yeah. Though it's he still doesn't quite get it when he's like, do you like me more than pricing? And she's like. Yeah,
0: <laughs> let's of talk course. about low bars here.
1: God, what a low bar!
0: But no, I, I enjoyed those scenes especially because it really did speak to Kringlein's worldview after getting sick and how he is all about living it up.
1: Yes, all about it. Yes, but it's it's like he's about like having fun and doing what he wants to do, but in a way that's just like so still so kind to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, he's the gambling
0: love, scene. It's yeah. like stay, stay, we're having such fun, more champagne <laughs> and drink it, he's it's good and bill. expensive. Exactly. <laughs> I want
1: that on a t shirt. Drink more champagne, it's good and expensive.
0: <laughs> um, it's a good that'd be a good t shirt.
1: It would be a good t shirt. Uh but yeah, like it's he's I don't know, he's just he's one of my favorite characters in I think any of the movies we've watched so
0: far. He's just adorable. He is I still feel so bad that the doctor had such a bad insult on his clothing. But then he gets good clothing, so it's bad. I have to
1: say that was maybe another performance I wasn't super satisfied with was the doctor.
0: Well, I wasn't fully sure how the doctor was supposed to play into this. Is he like the Grand Hotel's host doctor? Not host doctor, I'm sorry. Like house doctor? Yeah, or... I,
1: I'm not 100% sure. I I feel like in you know they kind of set him up as almost our narrator a little bit. Because mm-hmm. he's the one who delivers the line about um, basically nothing ever changing. Right. at both the beginning and the end. But like, I I don't know if it's maybe that we just didn't get to like know him as a character as well. Mm-hmm. But like the performance seems like very stilted.
0: And very, well, maybe the aloofness was part of that character. But I still, again, I, I struggle to see the narrative purpose of the character of the Doctor.
1: Yeah, and it was just, it was very one-dimensional. Yeah. Uh, and
0: I wanted them to go into things like, okay, he has this birthmark. It's a that, grenade room, wound. It's grenade wound. In the war, they Did say they... it
1: in one line.
0: Oh, early well, see. On. you miss one line and you miss all of his character development. <laughs> so <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, like you know, he's he's around, but like, I think you know, having a perf- you know a character like that, I don't want to fully lay it on the performance because that one could be a little bit the writing, but having right. you know a character that's a one dimensional, and then you know having John Barrymore's performance, which was kind of lackluster, it's just thrown into very stark relief when. You also have, you know, the dynamic, outstanding performances of Garbo and Lionel Barrymore mm-hmm. and Joan Crawford.
0: Yeah, pales in comparison.
1: Yeah. So I think is there anything else you want to say about character? Do we want to jump into more of the cinematography because we've talked a little yeah, bit about it, that I'm opening scene?
0: So game for cinematography. That opening scene in particular, I really enjoyed. So it, I, I do want to echo the some of it was very. Expositioning, <laughs> as you put it mm-hmm. um but as the pace picked up and you didn't need so much of the background and it was more focused on the now and what's going on right now i really enjoyed it i was a little disappointed to kind of move off of cinematography again that the one uh hotel employee whose wife was in labor like mm-hmm. i wish that they had done more with him other than just have him kind of be a constant presence in the background
1: i was kind of okay with that actually I I liked it, you know, because it kind of brought the hotel staff into it a little bit, but I mean, you know, the hotel staff isn't mm-hmm. the focus of this movie, right. but it is also the idea that, like, there's stuff going on in their lives, yes. and, like, you know, he talks about how horrible it is to work there all the time. And <laughs> it's like a prison. Yeah, like, he's having to work there while his wife's Wife in, in a in very labor. long, difficult labor, because I guess, I guess this movie takes place over the course of maybe two days, then?
0: Yeah, I think two nights Two and a half to three days tops. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: So, she's obviously having a difficult time, and he's, you know, stuck at work. And I think he says one time, he's like, I can't go. Like, they'll fire me. And I'm like, that uh, poor it's man.
0: ridiculous. But, yeah. So, back to cinematography, though. In addition to the phone booth scenes, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the continuity of the switchboards at the beginning of every day.
1: So, it that is actually the very... First shot, I think, is the yes. switchboards. And the first shot, I was like, mm, I could do without this. Like, it seemed, I don't know, I've seen it in a lot of movies. Granted, mm-hmm. you know, this is earlier movies. So, like, this may have been one of the first times it was done. It wasn't a huge trope yet. Mm-hmm. But I was like, eh, okay. But I liked the way it was used In the, like, I kind of forgave it because Mm -hmm. I liked the way it was used the other times. Yeah, Um, it's
0: like at the beginning of the day, let's show you all of the flurry of activity that is happening. Yeah, and you have like various
1: characters trying to call other various characters, so you can kind of see where like the plot lines are going to be intersecting. Um, There is one in particular that I love, and that's when they call in the murder, and it goes to the switchboard girls, and one's like, a murder. It's like someone's murdered someone in room so and so and so and so, and someone goes, a murder, and -and 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 someone else screams, all that drinking <laughs>
0: <laughs> some not so subtle temperance uh. well, I,
1: I think it's because like they show multiple times that like you know you have kind of this group of like drunken revel- revelers yeah. that kind of walks through multiple scenes and it's like it you know this is a very upscale hotel it's kind yeah. of you know the rich people they're partying and it's like it's almost a little Gatsby-esque absolutely bit, where you have kind of I guess you know Joan Crawford and Kringle Line would be sort of like our Nick Carraway, mm-hmm. who are sort of peering into the lives of these very wealthy individuals.
0: Doing all of their crazy antics.
1: Exactly. And then, you know, in the end. They run know, away? Well, Pricing gets arrested. Thank goodness.
0: I was really worried that he was going to not get arrested. I was too. I was actually, <laughs> oh,
1: when when Joan Crawford sends uh Line in there, I was actually very worried that somehow Pricing was going to pin it on him. Yeah. Oh, I got so worried for Kringle line.
0: But it, it worked out in the okay. end. Exactly. Thank God. Thank God. Now, I, will d- I, I really do want to defend that switchboard scene at the very beginning. Because okay, if we're supposed to think that this hotel is like the nexus of activity in the city for who's who, like hearing all of the different things that are going on, I think was very, very effective. And again, I am not as familiar with the switchboard trope. So, which is one reason why I, I I, guess I'm not burnt out on it.
1: Well, it could have been, too, that I just wasn't familiar with the characters yet. So, like, the names Ballad. that they were saying meant nothing to me at that point. Because um, I hadn't really been introduced to any of our characters. Because we're then kind of introduced to the characters in the phone booth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know if maybe, like, different dialogue would have changed that for me. Or if, like, maybe yeah. having it after the character introductions would have changed that for me mm-hmm. at all. But, um, you know, again, I, like, it wasn't a huge deal and I very quickly forgave it when I started you know seeing how it was being used later in the movie but yeah and they were nice like panning shots too also in particular I want to talk about the shot close to the beginning where you're looking down on the desk and you see the 360 degree desk which um, I read in particular like kind of that shot and that set design very much like changed how sets were done a lot of the time
0: interesting yeah
1: because it kind of gave you a more dynamic set and you could kind of see people coming in from different angles and you'd get characters maybe not straight up interacting but they're like sort of interacting with Mm -hmm. people next to each other
0: well and it so again seeing some vestiges of the theater aspect of this particular adaptation it's interesting how in that scene i'm sorry not in that scene in that set you rely a lot more on the blocking of the actors to move this scene along as Mm -hmm. opposed to camera movements and cuts So, especially when uh, it was um, Kringleine, the Baron, and I think pricing might have been there, but it was near the very beginning and they were talking with uh, one of the people behind the desks. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was Kringleine. Yep. Because he was interrupting this one woman trying to get something done because he was... Displeased with room. his room, he wanted um, a
1: fancy room and he's gonna die soon. We can't disparage Cringleline <laughs> well, at all.
0: Well, no, it's I'm just saying that was a, that was a little rude. <laughs> it's a little
1: rude, but I just I love Cringleline so much. Oh, absolutely, it's so, he's such a good character.
0: But in that scene, I really enjoyed how Cringleline moves in, and then you have I believe it was Baron that was able to come in as well. But you have the characters rotating it out. And so even though it was a single static shot, it still felt fresh.
1: Well, it's a different way of controlling the pacing. Yeah. That kind of, I think, has the same effect as like quick cuts and jump cuts and stuff. But like instead you have character movement, which, I mean, it's a very character-driven movie, so it feels appropriate.
0: Yes. So speaking of jump cuts, I hated a whole bunch of jump cuts in this movie. And when I say jump cut, I mean it f- i'm okay with cutting away from the action very very quickly but what would happen is it'd be like you'd have the actor in one expression so this happened with um garbo's character um mm-hmm. in the scene when she was by herself i believe um it was when she was on the phone that first time but you'd have her in this one expression in one position and then it would cut and she would be in a completely different like position and expression and would move kind of in a different way so i don't know that happened multiple times throughout the films with a couple different actors mm-hmm. where like i get it but i, I, I would have preferred more continuity i
1: didn't notice they did have the, that weird transition that was only used once that i think was supposed to indicate that like john barrymore and garbo had been sitting up all night It was like that weird like screen wipe it was like from another oh yeah it's from like another scene into like them still sitting in the same place they had been earlier but it like was only used one like it wasn't
0: it didn't feel deliberate well or it was deliberate but out of place
1: yeah i guess because like it's not like it was very different from all the transitions we'd been seeing and i wasn't like a hundred percent sure of its purpose like it was just it was very noticeable yeah well
0: and yeah some of the cuts i felt were a little bit. Sloppy. <laughs> yeah, so maybe,
1: maybe not but, best editing.
0: No, but the, the shots themselves when you weren't cutting I think were great. Mm-hmm. There was another, I believe it was when Baron was walking into the hotel, but a nice, it, it wasn't quite a tracking shot, but you had the camera kind of follow him and then pan around a little bit and zoom out. Out so you could see him in the whole uh, lobby there. And so mm-hmm. shots like that I, I really, really enjoyed. Well, and I think
1: kind of, you know, a huge part of that was the set design. You know, Yeah, they having, could film yes, all of that. Having a large set where at least, you know, it was more than just like half of a room. Right. It was, you know, a more dynamic set. They could really kind of move around it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that probably played a lot into having the cinematography would yes. be
0: so nice. Well, and not just the dynamic shots. I some of the close up shots were just lit beautifully. So I know oh, with in
1: particular, uh, with when we get Garbo's Garbo, introduction. Exactly. Yep, when she's like asleep in the bed and her Which bedroom, I wouldn't want to leave that bed either. Did no, it you see that bed? So freaking comfy. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Um but yeah they had her lit so beautifully. Um speaking of beautiful, this is just one thing that I kind of wanted to bring up really quickly. Um, probably should have brought up when we were talking about characters. I would just, like, love for a woman in this movie to be described as something other than beautiful just once. Like, to have, like, another compliment that's not just beautiful.
0: Because I'm sure that Garbo's character is a phenomenal well, see, dancer, for th- example.
1: Yes, but I, I mean, with her character, I didn't mind it as much because she obviously very much, like, as a character... Put emphasis on being like loved and adored and admired yes so i was like oh i think that would be you know appropriate for her character but when john barrymore kept saying it i was like is he conning her i was like does he like know that this is the best way to like feed into her ego and because i also wasn't buying the i'm in love with you performance and mm-hmm. stuff so i was like is, is this part of a con um but like it happens with joan crawford's character too and i was just like it's it's literally like the only compliment ever laid to either of them and i think it would have been nice if you had like a character or something like kringer line mm-hmm. or maybe the baron later just like compliment them on something else to kind of show differentiation between like them and the pricings of right. the world
0: well and especially somebody like joan crawford's character with the stenographer there's other stuff to be complimented there
1: yeah exactly like you're like and cunning. Or, exactly exactly um, anyway, sorry, that was just, like, a, one I had to throw in because I was thinking about that. Um, no worries. But, and I think, uh, you know, also speaking of beautiful costumes...
0: Oh, hold on. Oh. One more cinematography scene. Oh, yes. When the Baron is going into Garbo's apartment to steal the pearls. That balcony scene Oh, yeah, fantastic. with the, the
1: lovely little stunt work.
0: So, I... It's I also a bit comedic too work. how he yeah. gets in
1: there and he like can't go back the way he came like the door's locked I'm... he's got to hide in the wardrobe with yes. the maid
0: but the one shot that they had there, looking down on him, and you could see the street below, mm-hmm. loved how he was framed underneath the lit balcony in well, between. They, oh,
1: yeah, they do something sorry, similar. No, it's fine. They do something similar when with, during like the banter scene with him and Joan Crawford mm-hmm. too. Actually, where um, they're kind of looking over the railing of the hotel. Although it's like,
0: oh my gosh, that railing, weird... that railing is too damn short. They're gonna fall. <laughs>
1: it's a little weird because like it's also with the hotel shot i was like i don't like that looks very tall like, yeah. like look but like it weirdly tall to me like i was like is this a skyscraper
0: well i did think that that shot looking down at the desk was probably some sort of composite
1: oh of course so of course. i'm
0: curious if just the way that they happened to pull that together it made it look much taller than i don't action. know
1: they just but- in general it looked like it it looks like they it was looking down almost too mm-hmm. far
0: but that also adds to the gr- like it's the grand hotel. That's it needs true. to feel giant. That is
1: true. Um, maybe it was just out of keeping with some of the other stuff to me. Um, but yeah. So now can we talk about costumes?
0: Did we talk about sets enough?
1: I think we talked about sets enough. Okay, cool. If you're if you think we talked about sets enough, you got you got more thoughts? No. Anything no, you want to no share more with the thoughts class? With a Z? No, okay, I'm good. fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh yeah, costumes designed dresses by Adrian. Gowns by Adrian Sorry, gowns. specifically. Gowns. Um so Adrian is one of my favorite costume designers ever. He did some of my favorite films. So he did The Divorcee with uh, Norma Shearer, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen but I really want to see and I've seen like stills from it and the costumes look gorgeous. Um He specifically is like known for like designing like dresses and like women's mm-hmm. costumes, but he also did men's as well, I believe. Um And then, of course, Grand Hotel, um, 1940s Pride and Prejudice. Uh, He did Wizard of Oz, actually. Oh, wow.
0: I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: um, And then there's a couple other. Oh, The Women, which is one of my favorites from 1939.
0: That's a fun movie.
1: Oh, it's so good. And, like, basically, so Adrian, as a costume designer, was so, like, respected and well-known and renowned that he basically gets a technicolor sequence in The Women that's just this bizarre fashion show. Just so that, like, Adrian could design, like, all these, like crazy dresses i i'm always down for like a ridiculous bizarre fashion show in a movie well you got to
0: show off the film technology right
1: yeah well it's just like it's the rest of the movie is black and white and that's in technicolor i just i'll stop talking about other films in our (laughs) podcast about like grand hotel and i think i did this in cimarron oh no and broadway melody good i'm just gonna you know i'll focus Films
0: don't exist in a vacuum (laughs)
1: that's true i'll try and focus up a little bit more though but anyway so i mean you know again here specifically like garbo and joan crawford's dresses oh and like those gosh. robes that they wear
0: but that first outfit that joan crawford was in with the little bit of chiffon yeah the black and white get up well i'm sure it wasn't actually black and white but <laughs> <laughs> really dark and white black and white for us right now <laughs> um i loved that and i was actually kind of surprised to see how low cut it was but again we're pre code, so well,
1: but i think it's important to her character
0: yeah, absolutely. Which
1: I think is, you know, something that Adrian does in this film and I think is something he does in a lot of other films is he does a very nice job of character through costume.
0: Yeah. Well, in his ballerina outfit for Garbo's character. Yeah. While over the top, I feel is perfectly appropriate oh, for yes, a prima donna. Of course. Of course. Although I
1: the one this was I think maybe there were only two times that I questioned Garbo's performance at all, and I know, shame on me, shouldn't question Garbo. But um
0: Nobody's perfect. <laughs>
1: um <laughs> It was, you know, at the very beginning when we first got introduced to her, I wanted her to dial back her performance a little bit. I was like, it's a little much, but I think she did.
0: Yeah. In the very bit. beginning, I was, I think my exact note was, okay, I'm over this prima donna BS.
1: Well, she, it, di- it dialed back a little, I think she dialed back the performance a little bit and I think you also got to know her character
0: a little bit better. Yes, and, and like why she was being well, a prima and donna. And she's,
1: I, you know, I, I'm no psychologist and I probably shouldn't be like diagnosing fictional characters but she seems like a manic depressive
0: definitely a depressive i'm not sure if i saw manic well, but
1: <laughs> but i would say you know when she is like i'm so in love that's she gets kind of manic with that and she's like calling like he like just left and she's calling him and she's like i just miss you so much and i love you so much like i really liked her character her character obviously needs some help
0: yes absolutely um,
1: but i thought i don't know i thought i thought she started balancing that later that or that started balancing that better after kind of that first scene yeah um but then there is a bit you know we're talking about the ballerina costume when she takes off the ballerina shoes and she does it extremely gingerly and like kisses one
0: okay i was curious if she was like smelling her shoes because that's <laughs> certainly what it looked like to me
1: <laughs> <laughs> i think she was like just being like very like ginger with them and like she definitely kissed one and i think it was supposed to be like a she like loves ballet in her craft but like i kind of wanted to see her just take them off and fling them aside
0: that would have served much better to show the cert the state that she was in. Yeah, I think
1: point. it would have shown her headspace a little bit better, and I think it would have been kind of this interesting behind the scenes like contrast mm-hmm. to you know she's obviously very glamorous. She's a prima ballerina. Her clothes are amazing. She's got you know the pearls that are going to solve the baron's debt issues.
0: Those are some pearls. And, if they solve a baron's oh my, debt her, issues, her coats. Oh, oh my gosh. She wore like three coat. different oh. No, she
1: wore like three different ones and all of them were freaking gorgeous. Well, you're
0: from Russia, you have to have cold weather so, clothing. Oh, they were so <laughs> beautiful.
1: Um but you know, to kind of have her then like just slinging aside her shoes, I think it would have shown that like, you know, she's done with it cuz like this mm-hmm. is the scene where, you know, she's decided that she's going to commit suicide and um,
0: and then surprise there's a random man in your room that stops you but
1: <laughs> yeah yeah which was kind of like i was like i'm not okay that the baron's here to steal but i'm but like i'm glad he's here to save garbo like yes. i was like i i don't know how i feel about the baron and then of course he undergoes um a character change where i like him more but i think i could have liked him a lot more if the performance yeah. had been a little bit better um just to just to keep harping on that um <laughs> Okay, so I think, you know, those were kind of the three main points we wanted to hit, kind of the performances and the characters, sets and costumes, and then cinematography. Um, So I guess now it's time for our, our funny notes.
0: Oh, so I really did enjoy the background music in most of this film. In some places, it was just in the background serving to provide that noise and then also allowed people to say, oh, look. The music has stopped. The hotel is asleep, which I think that was at the very end of the gambling scene with uh, Krieger line.
1: Yeah, Garbo says it, though.
0: There you go. Yeah. That was it. So anyway, I digress. But one scene in particular where I enjoyed their choice of music was when Garbo's character was on the phone bowing out of her obligations to go dance. And so that was a Rachmaninoff prelude, piano prelude, that was orchestrated. And so I loved how they were pairing this really aching, gorgeous orchestration of this piano piece with what obviously was a horrible time for Garbo. So, like, just wanted to call that out really quick as a really nice placement of some very well-thought-out music.
1: I think they, they use like, the Blue Danube waltz a bit, too. Um, I honestly like this, sc- I didn't mind the score. It didn't do like a whole lot for me. Like it wasn't one of those movies where I was like, Oh my God, right. this score is amazing. Um,
0: but that one scene was the only one where I really noticed it and was yeah like, okay, perfect choice here.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, any funny notes? And then I think we can wrap up with kind of what our overall thoughts were on this movie and where it's going to rank and the lists we're keeping of our favorites.
0: Absolutely. I will let you go first.
1: Okay, so my first note, which we can cut if you want to, um, there's a line where someone says, A man who, I think it's the doctor, says, A man who is not with a woman is a dead man. And then I wrote, Ian Zombie?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 no romantically women in my life so we can
1: we can cut that out if, oh well if you're not it's comfortable okay with that being in there I just had to share <laughs> that note with you and get your reaction
0: my... no that cracked me up
1: <laughs> um let's see I oh yeah I do have the note where I was really mad about pricing no it wasn't pricing it was the baron uh patting Joan Crawford's butt. I said very emphatically in my notes that that is not okay
0: it was also not a good butts scene
1: it it doesn't count on our rank of it does
0: not it Um, was very bad
1: let's see what else did i have
0: well going back to that one scene where baron is getting into the ballerina's hotel room Mm -hmm. i just thought he was bouldering like a badass oh
1: i have stunts oh my
0: (laughs) i enjoyed that Um, both of those are good
1: yeah and then um I i have so many notes that are just like love kringle line And, like, Lionel Barrymore killing it. (laughs) I have so many of those. Um, There's also one, I think it's between Garbo and the Baron, where she's asking him to, you know, come on the train with her to Vienna. Mm -hmm. And um, he's like, I can't. And she goes, why not? And then he goes, I'll try. (laughs) He (laughs) doesn't try
0: hard enough.
1: I mean, he tried pretty hard, but it's just, like, a weird exchange. Also, just going to point this out. Like, the Baron has squandered away his fortune through gambling. So his solution to... I need money.
0: Is go is gamble. gamble.
1: <laughs> like, he's he's a bad gambler. Like, it's established.
0: Well, and he loses all of that money again that he could have paid off his debt with. Well,
1: and I don't understand. Like, he should have just clued in Kringle Line because I'm sure Kringle Line would have been like, yeah, we'll go 50-50 on the winnings.
0: Which, that was a lot of winnings. Yeah,
1: which, like, at the very least puts a din in what he owes and might buy him some time.
0: Yeah. Or if he doesn't want like to borrow all of it characters. from Garbo,
1: like, borrow some of it from Garbo. Yeah, I... I had problems with the Baron's, like, motives a little bit and just, like... I just don't
0: know why he wouldn't want to be Garbo's kept man. Well, because
1: it's the 1930s, and apparently that's, like, against their idea of masculinity.
0: Well, some people still think that. I don't know. Maybe
1: it's better for Garbo. (laughs) Maybe he would have gone back to gambling and squandered her way, her fortune. I don't know. That's not the particular tragedy of this movie. No,
0: not at all. I think that covers it for me, at least.
1: I'm trying to see if I have any more...
0: Oh, I will say I was on the edge of my seat when we were hearing about the one hotel employee's child and wife. I was like, "Oh no, the child is okay, okay, good." And then, and I, was then like, I was like, "Oh no, woman. is the wife okay?" No, I got so worried because
1: he—he's the way he's on the phone and the way he starts talking almost makes it seem like something bad's happened. And I was like, "Crap, did like the wife or the kid or both die?" I was like, yeah. "Please don't let us end on this note because like it—you
0: needed that." contrast to baron dying well
1: there's I some think. i think there's some satisfactory storyline endings like Kringlein and the stenographer i think their storylines have a very satisfactory ending in like
0: i was satisfied with uh pricelings yeah and and, and pricings, pr- pricings
1: sorry. um you know him getting arrested i think both of those wrap up the way you want to i think kind of the really tragic ending is greta garbos and because well obviously the barons too because he died but like you know they haven't told her and they're not going to tell her because the people who are with her all they care about is getting her to vienna for this next show and it's like they won't let anyone tell her they keep being like "No, no no he's gonna meet us at the train he's gonna meet us at the train and i kept thinking like what happens when you get to the train and he's not there like she's gonna find out
0: she's gonna flip
1: yeah and it's gonna be devastating to her and like the longer you wait the worse it's gonna be and i i think that's kind of the real tragedy of her character is that she's surrounded by people she clearly needs help and she's surrounded by people who aren't helping her and who are just trying to push her to the next like engagement making
0: a lot of money off of her yes
1: they just want to get her on stage they're gonna make their money like they just like that's all they want from her and i think that's you know, probably why she folds so quickly when there's a yeah. strange man in her room who's like, I
0: love you. <laughs> well, yeah, because she probably doesn't feel like she has much autonomy. <laughs> exactly. You no, know, she's
1: probably just very desperate for, like, a friend.
0: Yeah. Well, with that, do we want to go into rankings? Let's go into rankings. All right. I'm
1: curious to see where you put it.
0: Okay. So my rankings after watching this film are... So my number one is still All Quiet on the Western Front. It's probably going to take a while for that to be unseated. Number two for me is Still Wings. Now, I actually slotted Grand Hotel in at three.
1: Okay.
0: Then Cimarron. Cimarron. And then Broadway Melody.
1: Interesting. Okay. This is the first time our lists differ. Oh, no. I have All Quiet on the Western Front is my first. I mean, again... Like I am like You, you can't in that. see the
0: look I'm giving Maggie I, right now.
1: <laughs> Ian's Ian's like looking at me like, uh really. <laughs> um I no, I'm like you in that one where I think that one's gonna be up there for a long time for me, even with some of the movies that I know are upcoming. I you know, I'm like I could see it still staying there after some of these movies that I know are coming that yes. I really love. Um it had a very profound impact on me. Um I actually have Grand Hotel as number two. Because while I did really like Wings, I I just, I don't know. I really enjoyed particularly Garbo and Lionel Barrymore's performances for me. And again, you know, we discussed I'm a very character-driven
0: And this was a character-driven driven film. It was a
1: character-driven film. It has some of the um, qualities that I really like about sort of the smaller, more contained 30s films. Mm-hmm. Um, also, it was a little bit of a breath of fresh air in that it was you know sort of smaller on scale and it wasn't a sweeping epic and we've mostly you know Broadway Melody is probably the least epic that we got but even it's that kind of epic even that like you know is taking place over longer periods of time and stuff and I like the idea that you're really contained to one setting and mm. you're getting to just watch some very good character interactions um, well
0: and you can make the set so much nicer when you don't have to pay thousands of people to simulate war scenes for you
1: yeah um. So I yeah, I'm putting Grand Hotel as number two. Then Wings as number three. Cimarron, Broadway Melody.
0: Well, we can differ on two. I'll allow it. <laughs>
1: our by the end of this, our lists are going to be way different. I can tell you. I have a feeling I'm going to have a lot more older movies at the top of mine, and I'm you'll have a lot Silence more recent ones. Silence of the Lambs ones. at number one. I'm so no, scared. I'm not I'm really. I'm so scared about watching that. Watch that go to the top of my list after I'm like already dreading having to watch that. I don't like horror movies listeners, so that that's going to be an interesting one for me. Oh, my. You're well, going to be like, did you see that thing? I'm going to be like, I can't. My eyes are covered.
0: <laughs> no, you got to leave them open. All the action. Oh. All of it
1: so okay i think that's it for grand hotel thanks for listening and uh i guess we'll see you guys next time when we do cavalcade another western no not a western no Uh, you also didn't know what it was i also
0: didn't know what it (gasps) was (laughs) i was
1: under the impression it was a musical so i looked it up and it's not a musical um because i didn't know what the word cavalcade meant and i just thought it sounded like a musical name but this is not the first time i've misguessed genres of films so
0: listeners suspense
1: yeah Maybe maybe you can find out what it is too next time, or you can Google it. Like
0: Google, thank yeah. you.
1: <laughs> Google will tell you. Um, so anyway, uh, third sign off that we've done this episode. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. If you want to follow us on Instagram or Twitter, we're at Best Pictures Pod on both. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, hopefully, by the time this episode goes out, also Stitcher and a couple of other places. I have to. Get our episodes up on there. Um, but uh, we, you know, if you can leave a review, we'd love a review, preferably five stars, if you're feeling it, which hopefully you are. Um, and if you're
0: not, please send us an email.
1: Yeah, tell you know, send us an email. Tell us kind of what we could do that might make this a better experience for you as a listener. Um, and to do that, you can email us in at bestpicturespodcast at gmail And
0: with that, I'm Ian.
1: I'm Maggie, and thanks for listening.